At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Amidst the world's chaos and growing opposition to our faith, economic hardship, and overwhelming challenges, we can find inspiration from the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Despite facing an angry king, severe drought, massive opposition, and depression, Elijah lived a powerful and impactful life for God. Join us for our series, Elijah, as we learn how the same God Elijah served can use us to live a life of impact for his kingdom. We're gonna play a game. The way this is gonna work is, it's not really a game, it's an activity. I'm gonna give you a scenario. Okay, I'm gonna give you a scenario. After I give you the scenario, you're going to give me feedback, like with your mouth, out loud. I'm gonna let you talk out loud in church. You're gonna talk back to me in a good way, and you're gonna tell me like what the answer is. Okay, so here's scenario one. Scenario one is you have a friend. Let's say you have a friend and that friend comes to you and they're like, man, my job, like, oh no, like my job, I mean, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with the job. I mean, I could stay at my job, I guess, like I could say, or I could go. Like I could stay, I could go. I just don't know which one I'm supposed to do. Like, what do you think? Like, how am I supposed to decide? What would you tell them? Like, what should they do? How do you figure out what, you, what you're supposed to do with the job? Okay, well, I heard all kinds of answers. We're going, so we're gonna go to the next one. Because we're gonna get better at this as we go. We're in church, just so you remember. I'm a pastor and we're in church. So let's try this again. Let's say you have a friend who comes to you and they're like, okay, so... You know how I went to the doctor a couple weeks ago, went to the doctor, tried to figure out what's going on. Well, uh, I got the email this morning, so I know what's going on, and they tell you what's going on. And they're like, I don't know. Like, I'm freaked out. Like, I'm real, I'm real freaked out right now. And I know, like, physically, I'm no different than I was last week, but now I know, you know? Like, now I know. And so I don't know what to do with my freaked outness that I've got right now. So what do you think? Like, what should I do? And you would say, oh, you're getting better at this. One more. One more scenario. Let's say you have a friend, different friends. You don't have like one really high maintenance friend. You got lots of high maintenance friends. And so friend number three says, I just got back from Ecuador. You know, I went on that mission trip to Ecuador and I, you know, like I was so concerned. I didn't even know if I was going to be able to get the money to go. It's $3,000. That's a lot of money. But from the generosity of the church, every penny for every person was raised. Like that's incredible. So we went and we worked. And we prayed and we worked and we worshiped and we worked. Did I mention we worked? Like we worked and, and, and we saw some things and we worked and then I came home. Man, since I've come home, like I don't, I don't know how to tell you everything I'm feeling, but I've got all these emotions and I feel like the Lord is doing something and stirring inside of me and I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this feeling I have inside. So I don't know. What do you think? Any advice on what I'm supposed to do? I'm just trying to figure out what the Lord is doing here. And you would tell them. Pray. Yeah. So anytime you're in church and the pastor asks a question, you either say Jesus or pray. There you go. That's how you do it. Jesus or pray. You're probably going to get there. Pray, pray, pray. There you go. Pray, pray, pray. But here's the problem. Because I, I want to be real at the same time. Because I asked the question, the very first question, and I heard like all kinds, and some of you were like, I've been in church. I know what he wants me to say. So I'm just going to say that. But the truth is so oftentimes when you're not here on a Sunday morning and Billy's not watching you, our answers are everything else. And there's a reason. The reason the answer is everything else is because you tried to pray once upon a time. Didn't work, Right? I mean, I'm just going to be real today. I think that's what happens. We pray. It didn't work. You feel like your prayers, they go up, they hit the ceiling, they come right back down. 
And you're like, I see that person at church, that person at church. It's like, man, when they pray, mountains move. You know, when they pray, the unexplainable, but I, I, that's not me. Now, when I was a little bitty boy, little bitty, I think I was seven when I prayed for the first time. And I was taught this prayer, five little angels at my bed, one at the foot, one at the head, one to sing, one to pray, one to carry my sins away. Don't know what that means, but that's why I said every single night, you know, every single night. No, I actually, I started thinking about it. I'm like, theologically, this prayer is bad. Like, this is not a good prayer. Like, this prayer is so wrong. But man, I would pray that prayer. And I think the thing is, is some of you, that's how you feel inside. You're stuck at five little angels. That person's moving mountains. You're stuck at this place of, I prayed for two whole minutes, man. I prayed, and, but it's just like my prayer goes up, it comes down. I don't know where the prayer goes, but it certainly doesn't seem to hit the ears of God because if it does, he didn't do anything. And so you're like, so I, I don't know. And you gave up. Some of you, man, you just gave up on prayer. How would you pray in a way that's powerful? How would you pray in a way that's effective? So we're in a sermon series looking at the life of Elijah. This is actually week three of the sermon series. And when it comes to Elijah in the New Testament, you have this guy named James. And James says this about Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. That's so good. Man, that is so good. Because I think sometimes we look at Elijah and we think like, you're the rock star of the Old Testament, Elijah. Like seriously, Elijah, you're this guy that just like, I mean, you are, you're Mr. Old Testament. If it's not Moses, it's you, you know, you, you are Mr. Old Testament. And what James is saying is like, no, 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 don't miss this. He's just, just a guy. He's just a guy. Now he faced some things that some of us will never, ever face. And he faced things that we face all the time. But he's just a man, just like us trying to get through this. So last week, we started this story looking at King Ahab and looking at the prophets of Baal. And we're going to continue that conversation today. Open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, we didn't finish the story, so we're coming back to it. And we're at the big idea today that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So the question I really want us to dig into today, because I do, I think some of you, you feel that prayer that goes up and comes down. You feel that five little angels, you know, you're just stuck there. Five little angels. You, ne you never grew past that. How can you pray in a way, starting today, how can you pray in a way that's powerful and effective? What what does it look like? What does it take to pray in a way that's powerful and effective? The first thing we're going to see is you have to pray in alignment with God's word. You have to pray in alignment with God's word. Look down at verse 41. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. The scripture says this. It says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up and to eat and to drink. Hey, Ben Wheatley, we're playing music back here. It's real good. It's real good. You know, so Ben's on staff now, everybody, so I can just call him out and he'll come up and fix it. Let's give Ben a hand. Wait, Dan Maxwell, did you do that? Oh, you did do that. Oh, no. Oh, he got the dog voice, didn't he? 
Just so you know, when the dog poops on the floor, this is the voice he gets. Oh, no. All right, sorry, we need to focus on the Word of God. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there's a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. We need to pray in alignment with God's word. Remember, this is a combination, a culmination of all of Elijah's life up to this point. This is what's been building for years in Elijah's life. You see, three years before this, the Lord came to Elijah and was like, hey, you need to take a message to King Ahab. Israel had been split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and Judah. Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. And so he's supposed to take this message to the king. And he says, there's going to be a drought. The drought is going to be three years long. At the beginning of summer, man, we went a few weeks without rain and we all went nuts. Our grass was burning. We were all stressed out. It was so hot outside. Three years. Three years without one ounce of rain. Can you even start to imagine that? Three years. And so Dave Varga, man, he did such a great job with this last week. He gives us a scene at the end of that three years where finally we see the reason for the drought. The reason for the drought is quite simple. It's because Ahab and Israel started to worship Baal. Baal was this God that was said to be the storm God, the bringer of rain. You like that? The bringer of rain. So this is almost the Lord going, oh, bringer of rain. Oh, I'm going to give you three years to do something about it. He didn't do anything about it. So at the end of three years... We have Elijah inviting the king and the prophets of Baal. We want, we want you to set up an altar there. And you're going to put your sacrifice there. And I'm going to set up an altar here, set up the sacrifice. We're, we're both going to pray and we're going to see what God does. Like we're going to give Baal a chance to do something here. And then he does this. He takes water. Man, this description last week was so good. He pours water out all over the altar. Do you know how precious water would be after three years? But this is an act of worship. This is an act of watch what the Lord God does. And of course, everything was consumed in fire. It was completely consumed in fire. No doubt that the Lord, he is God. God's victory and power, it was evident. So Elijah speaks to Ahab at this point now. And he says, now that this victory clearly belongs to God, I want you to go and I want you to eat, drink, and be merry. You enjoy it. But did you see what happens next? He says, I hear that there's this sound in my head, like I hear the sound of the rushing rain. He is confident in what God is going to do. What do you do when you are confident in what God's getting ready to do. I mean, like, you know, you just saw fire consume the altar. How do you respond? Here, here's what I love about Elijah. Elijah doesn't come across arrogant. He's not cocky in this moment. He goes up to the top of the mountain. He gets down on his knees and he prays. He literally puts his head down. He said he bowed himself down to the earth and put his face between his knees. He's sitting there praying to God. What's he praying? God, I know what you've promised. And I'm just praying that you bring what you've already promised. I know you're going to do it. I know you're going to make it rain. Lord, I'm just praying for the rain. It's like, it's like when your kid comes to you and your kid says, hey, uh, you know, Starbucks has that strawberry refresher with lemonade, you know, the delicious one. And you said you'd get me one if I clean my room, spick and span, like spick and span, like nothing. You just can't look in the closet. Don't do that. Don't open my drawers. 
but I clean my room. My room is perfect. Can we go to Starbucks now? Like right now? Can we do it? Can we go to Starbucks now? Because you said, you said you're going to do it. So can we go now? You know that feeling, right? That's what Elijah's doing. Elijah's on his knees going, God, I know what you promised. I am so clear on what you promised. I'm just asking that you give what you promised. I'm just asking that you do that because, Lord, I know your voice. I know your word. And you said you're going to bring rain. We're at the end of the three years. Lord, will you bring the rain? Will you do that? Will you do what you said you're going to do? Lord, I'm just going to keep asking. Will you do what you said you would do? You want to pray powerful prayers? You want to pray effective prayers? You need to pray according to the word. Not according to what you want. I want you to do this. Lord, it'd be great if you would do that. No, pray according to his word. And if you're like, I don't know how to do that. Why not this week just open the book of Psalms? Pray that to him. Lord, you are mighty. Lord, you are good. Lord, you are majestic. Lord, you are holy. Just start there. Just declare the truth to the Lord of who he is. Maybe you need to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I want what you want. Maybe that's where you start. But man, your prayer is going to start to take on power as you lean into the truths of who God is. Next, we see that we persist in pursuing God's promises. In verse 43, he says to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and he said, there's nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. So we see Elijah, here's the scene, he's, he's on his knees, he's face down in the dirt and he's praying to God. This posture of humility before God, not arrogance. He's on his knees before God and he's praying and then he looks up at a servant. Can you imagine this moment? Man, I've seen the Lord bring a consuming fire. There is no doubt that the Lord, he is God. He's like, hey, will you, we just go look. Look toward the sea. I want you to look. I want you to look. See if the clouds are coming. See if the rain is coming. Because my Lord, he is God. Will you go look? And the servant, he goes and looks and comes back to Elijah. And he's like, I don't know how to tell you, but there's nothing in the sky. There's not a cloud to be seen. You know what sometimes we do when that happens? We quit. We're just like, well, I prayed for two whole stinking minutes. I guess I'm done. Like, I'm done. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and the Lord didn't do anything. Right? Be honest with yourself. That's exactly what we do. We get so frustrated with God because he doesn't instantly answer us. That's not what Elijah does. He goes back to prayer. He goes back to his knees. He goes back to praying. I want you to go look again because I know, man, I know what my God has promised. I want you to go look. Just still not there. Again and again and again and again. Again and again he looks. There's nothing there. There's nothing there until the seventh time. And on the seventh time he comes in, can you just imagine this moment? Hey, Elijah. That's like a man's hand coming right out of the sea, Elijah. It's like a man's hand. I saw the cloud. Elijah, it's coming. Do you see that moment? This is so powerful, but it happens because Elijah is so persistent in the prayer. He does not quit. He keeps that prayer. I know the promises of my God, and I'm going to keep coming back to him again and again and again. It's how Jesus teaches us to pray in Luke 18. 
In Luke 18, you see the parable of the persistent widow who prays day and night, just keeps praying. But Jesus tells the reason for the parable right at the beginning of that story, doesn't he? He says, the whole reason that I'm giving you this parable is so that you will always pray and not lose heart. Friends, that's what I'm telling you. Don't lose heart. I don't know what you're going through. For almost all of you, I have no idea. Some I do. But for most, I don't. What I'm telling you is keep praying, persistently praying, leaning into the promises of God in his word. Keep praying. Don't you stop. So you want to pray powerfully? You want to pray effectively? You're you're not going to stop. You're going to be persistent in your prayer. You're going to lean into the promises of God. Finally, you're going to plan to respond to God's grace. Look at verse 44. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So they look, and together they see this rain cloud on the horizon. And he looks to his servant, and he says, okay, you need to go to the king right now because he's eating and drinking and being merry. You need to go to the king. You need to tell him to immediately leave because when this rain comes and there hasn't been rain for three years, there's going to be mud. There's going to be mudslides. There's going to be floods. There's going to be, you know, and you don't want him trapped there. So he's got to go. Like he, he's got to go now. And he's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell him I'm on my way. And what we're going to see is in verse 45 that sure enough, the, the sky grew black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. And so Ahab is at a crossroads. Ahab has this choice to make. You see, the king was in a place where before he was chasing after the ways of Baal. He was chasing this fake God, and as he was chasing after him, it was building up his name, his fame, his renown. And so now he's like, well, I'm clear, crystal clear on who the true God is, but do I surrender my whole life and my name and my story and my wants and my wishes to pursue him, or do I keep chasing myself? What am I going to do? He's at this crossroads. What am I supposed to do? So he gets in his chariot, just like he was told. He gets in his chariot, and he starts to go to Jezreel. And as he's on the way to Jezreel, we see verse 46, this interesting verse. It says, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Do you see that? This isn't Elijah showing off, like, hey, let me just hitch up on my garment here. And let me just show what a fast runner I am, even as an old dude. Like, I can, I can get it, you know? And it's just, that's not what's going on. No, this is actually really, really powerful. And if you just read fast through Scripture, you miss it. But this is really powerful. I like how one theologian said it. He said, the fact that Elijah runs before Ahab as a herald or a forerunner suggests that the Lord's prophet may be a servant rather than an opponent to the king. In other words, well, how would you respond as the king? I mean, this dude clearly has the Lord on his side and this consuming fire. I know what I just saw from Elijah. It's like he speaks and it happens. He says there's going to be a three-year drought. There's a three-year drought. He says there's going to be rain. There's rain. He says the Lord's going to come. The Lord comes. Like, I, I don't know if this guy's for me or against me. He's a threat. That's the way he's feeling. But all of a sudden, you have Elijah who says, let me again humble myself. I'm going to sprint. I'm going to run to try to get in front of the king. Listen to the rest of the statement. It says, 
that was the exact relationship that the Lord wanted at the moment. The king on the way to his residence, that is his throne, preceded by the bearer of the word of the Lord. God's word leads the way gloriously. In other words, as Elijah's running, he's shouting out, the king's on his way. The king's on, a, on his way. The Lord did exactly what he said he would do. Baal has been defeated. The rain is coming. The drought is over. Get ready. The king is on his way. Everyone get ready. The king is on his way. He's not standing against the king. He's standing for the king in this moment. In, in this incredible posture of humility. Now, earlier in 1 Kings, if you go back about 10 chapters, you get to chapter 8, and that's where you find King David's son, who's King Solomon. King Solomon's standing there at the entrance of the temple. The temple's getting ready to be dedicated. This is the cutting of the ribbon moment. And King Solomon says this. He says, when heaven is shut up and there's no rain because they've sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants and grant rain upon the land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. And that's exactly what happened. The people rebelled against God. There was a drought. The people turned to God. And now there's rain. And so we have Ahab at this crossroads. What do I do? Do I now bring the word of God back to Israel? Do I bring the authority of God at the forefront of who we are as a people? Or do I continue to try to make my name great? And here's what he did. Actually, we're out of time, so I'm not going to tell you what he did. Um, <laughs> next week, next week, uh, we're going to continue this story. No, really, that's what we're going to do. Next week, we're going to continue this story. So come back next week or you can read your Bible, whichever. You can do that. But... <laughs> The point is, you, you need to be prepared to respond because Ahab has to respond in this moment, doesn't he? It's like when there's a surprise party, you know, and someone walks in and you do, you know, surprise. You got to kind of like get ready in your head to say surprise because you're responding to the moment. We as a people get her a chance to respond to God's grace displayed. That's what the rain is. It's God's grace displayed. You know, that phrase reminds me of something we experienced in Ecuador. Here's um, a picture of what we woke up to every morning. The sun comes up over the Andes Mountains at 6 a.m. And it sets at 6 p.m. every day. It's on the equator, so it never changes. Is that me? That's not me. Y'all are freaking me out with the noises. Um, yeah, so 6 a.m., it comes over the Andes. If you ever eat those Andes mints, those little green Andes mints, okay, that, there's the Andes. That's the mountains that's on there, right? It's, um, it's on the, the equator, and so you're surrounded by mountains, like surrounded by mountains. It's incredible. Here's another picture. This is from the apartment. This is from the apartment and literally what we woke up to every single day. So the work that we did, just real fast, last year we left off building a foundation for a school building. The church that we partner with is a good shepherd, Wayne Pastor. Wayne Pastor basically is like Woodside Romeo, but in Ecuador. And when I say like Woodside Romeo, I mean we had three services, they had three services. We have like 800,000 people, they have 800,000 people. It's, it's almost identical. It's like a sister church to us there. Uh, they encourage other churches in their area. We encourage other churches in our area. Like it, it's very similar in how they're set up. The difference is they have to have a Christian school that's connected to the church. 
And I told you this, like they, they have so many kids, they can't let them all go to school all day. So the elementary kids are the morning, the older kids are the afternoon. It's kind of like a seven in the morning till six at night, kind of a rotation. Uh, but they said for the littles, like they don't have anything until this school that we built. So we built another building that's a block away. And last year there was a foundation this year. The first floor is completely finished. I mean, classrooms, ceiling, the lights work, there's bathrooms, the furniture, the teachers help carry the furniture down. Oh, not just the first floor, the second floor also is done. Two floors worth of school, and it's awesome. And I want to tell you more about that on a different day. But I want to tell you about something that Extreme Response is doing with their Dream Center. Their Dream Center is a location where they really get to help people who are involved in the recycle ministry. The recycle ministry is they where people who a lot of them just don't have very much at all, they work at the dump. And they stand in garbage up to here for 12-hour shifts. And they sort through. The trucks will come through and dump all the garbage. You can't flush toilet paper, so you know the scene of what's going on there. They dump out all the garbage. People start tearing through the garbage. They're tearing through it looking for plastic. And they will take any plastic they find and put into these big bags that they then sell to a middleman. Working 12-hour shifts at the end of the month, their hope is to make between $150 and $200 per month to provide for their family. Now you see the need for a dream center. Now you see the need for a location that says, we want to help just restore hope and dignity for you. Dream that for the future generations that it can be different. And so there's Bible studies that happens there. There's, there. there's food that happens there. There's activities for the kids that happen there. And so we're able to see one of the kids who graduated number one in his class because of some of the ministries happening. I mean, just incredible. Uh, what they also do, though, is they teach skills and trades. Like, we want to teach you how to make jewelry so you can make some supplemental income. And you don't have to do the dump forever if you don't want to. Maybe you can start to make enough money that there's other things. But we're going to teach you how to do some things. Uh, in 2019, when we went, they were uh, breaking apart these pallets of wood. And they were showing them, here's how you can make furniture out of that wood. I mean, just constantly teaching how do you do it. But one of the cool things they do is after we sit through the teaching of the word and through food, they'll take a couple of them anytime a team comes through and they're going to say, we're going to let you sell your jewelry or your little Christmas ornaments that you make. They, they make enough during that 30-minute period where it really competes with what they would make in a whole month picking out plastic at the dump, right? I mean, just incredible. And to watch their faces, they're so grateful and so thankful. But that wasn't what really moved them. You see, back in 2019, uh, when our team went through, there were like these little, where they would take magazines and turn into a Christmas ornament. But what they'll do is with their jewelry or with their Christmas ornaments, they'll put a little teeny tiny tag with their name on it. Whoever made it, their, their name will be on it. You know, if there's a painting, of course, you know, they sign the bottom. And the missionary shared with them, hey, this is the team. This is the team. We want you to know what's been going on every single day. Now, I'm looking at Joanna. Joanna's the one who her body is just racked with cancer. We met her last year. She had so much joy this year. She's like, no, I'm still dying of cancer. I am, but can, can you see everyone who's around me? The Lord is so good. I have family with me. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, she was just overjoyed. You know, Mercedes is there. And so anyway, the missionary shares with them 
this is the team that not only did they buy the stuff you were selling, but you've been prayed for by name every single day. And they wept. I just want you to consider that. They, they, didn't, they didn't weep because of how much money they made and they were really just blown away by the money that all of a sudden they held in their hand. It wasn't that they wept because the food was that good that day or the Bible study was just so on point or the activity was the most amazing activity they've ever done. No, it was prayer. That someone would think them valuable enough to pray for every day. Prayer, my friends, is powerful. Prayer is effective. So I want us to end this way this morning. I just want to stand in silence in prayer because maybe you have been feeling like it's five little angels at my bed for you. And maybe you have been feeling like your prayers have been hitting the ceiling and maybe you've just kind of become stagnant in your prayer life. Man, don't settle for that. Our God is a God who's made promises. He is a powerful, wonder-working God. But we need to, like Elijah, humble ourselves. We need to have those places where, man, we just pause in our tracks and we say, Lord, I'm not going to quit and I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep asking because you're the God who can. You are absolutely the God who can. And so what do you pray for? Well, maybe you think about the person to your left the person to your right, the person sitting in front of you or behind you. Maybe for you, you need that prayer like Joanna Mercedes where they just need to know they're not alone in the battles they're facing. Maybe it's for your own family. Maybe it is your workplace. Maybe it is the calling that the Lord has on your life. But let's just be still before the Lord for a few moments and seek him. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.